Thank you for taking time to listen to this sermon from Hope Church Toronto North. It is our prayer that through this message, you are challenged and encouraged by the Word of God and grow in your love for God and love for others. It is God's desire for us to be members of and regularly participate in a local church under the care of qualified elders. If you are not attending a local church right now, we encourage you to take that step. If you do live in the North York area and are looking for a local church, we invite you to visit us at one of our Sunday morning gatherings to discern if this is the church God is leading you to. Good morning, church family. Uh, It is a joy to be here again with you all. I'm thankful that I have this opportunity to open the word uh, together. And yeah, I'm also thankful that um, our beloved Pastor Marv is able to take this time for sabbatical. And um, we praying, we're continually praying that he gets um, the rest that he needs and refreshment in the spirit. And yeah, so we're going to be going through um, Colossians 1, verse 3 to 8. If you could find it, and then please join me in standing as you're able. Titled the message uh, for today, simply, Thank God for Gospel Hope. And my hope is to show you today um, the work of the triune God in... Supplying gospel hope for us, securing gospel hope for us, and sustaining gospel hope in us. Let's read the passage. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is a lamp onto our feet and a light onto our path. Thank you, Lord, that you've not left us in darkness, but you've given us your light. And God, today we desire right now that you would uh, make your light um, known to us in a very real and tangible way, God, that that we would get a sense of, of you calling us to draw near to you in this time as we spend time in your word. We we want to see you clear, Lord. We want to know you more. We want to love you more. We want to delight in you more, God. We want to be satisfied with you above all, content with where you have us, Lord. So, Father, 
Do what only you can do through your word to transform our lives. Lord, help me to be a vessel and nothing else, God, that you would speak through and in right now. And God, I pray that you would do the work of saving and redeeming and strengthening faith among us all right now and do all the more what you desire to do through this passage for your people and for our world. We pray this for your glory and our joy in you. In Jesus' name, amen. It's been a while since I've been up here, so be gracious with me. Paul thanks, um, Paul begins by thanking God for his um, work in the Colossian church. And if you notice, he thanks God and he gives immediately after some uh, specific qualifiers for evidence of the work that God is doing. He says three things he highlights. He says that they, the evidence says, Faith in Jesus Christ, love for all the saints, and then he says this is key because, say because, because because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. And, And so Paul starts off by reminding us of a fundamental truth that Gospel transformation is the work of God alone. And he helps us to see that we have a responsibility as we see gospel hope transforming the lives, our lives first, but also the lives of those around us, that we would continually give thanks to God for that. This reminded me actually of when I was Younger, I spent a lot of time early mornings in the gym. I was very ambitious back then. Um, and so I'd go early at 6 a.m. before work. And I was a regular in the gym. And so there were a few people who typically they knew me, they saw me. And this particular day, I was exercising beside one guy who was about half my size. And I remember as we're exercising, we saw a stranger come in. And you could tell he was a stranger. Um, he, didn't, he wasn't familiar to any of us. And he's walking up to me, and he's staring at me, and he's got this look in his eyes uh, where, where I can tell he's impressed. Not 100% sure why at this point, but he comes up to me, and I remember he said, and I quote, he said, big man, respect. I see you lifting that big weight. And... If I was any lighter skinned, I would be completely crimson red at that point. Not just because a stranger walked up to me and called me big man, but because he was actually dead wrong. See, what he missed was I wasn't actually the one lifting that heavy weight. It was actually the dude beside me who was half my size. But what this this stranger actually missed was that the guy beside me who seemed to be a little man was actually a power lifter, world class, and that he could probably lift two to three times what I could. See, just because he didn't know who this man was, he missed giving him the credit that he deserved. 
Paul reminds us in this simple way that he knows who God is. He understands that God alone has the power to lift the weight of our sin and shame and selfishness that needs to be removed from us in order for us to, be, to go from sinners to saints. And so like Paul, we ought to not miss an opportunity to give thanks to God when we see lives transformed by the power of the gospel. This is not a light thing. This is a massive miracle. And as we continue to give thanks to God for this, and we continue to appreciate it, we also continue to propagate this. Amen? Amen. So Paul opens up by thanking God, and then he goes on. He actually gives us a little bit more to, to sink into with this, these three uh, evidences that he provides. Look back at it again in verse four. He says, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. We've got three Christian virtues that Paul has mentioned a few times in his writings, faith, love, and hope. And Paul says that the faith and love are rooted in the hope. This is a very important thing for us to grasp. It actually reminds us, and it makes, Jesus actually makes it clear for us when we look back in Matthew 6, 19, 21, 19 to 21, Jesus says, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moths and rust, where moths and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. And he ends by saying, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. What Paul is actually revealing to us is that the hope that these uh, believers in Colossae have from God is a hope that is secure. It's secure by, in actually the most um, perfect and absolute way, by God himself. God has secured this hope for them. And it makes it an eternal, a hope in, in something eternal, hope in something that will last. And this is significant, the implications of it, when we consider the human condition. And it brings me back to Ecclesiastes 3.11 is one of my favorite passages for getting a picture of the human condition. It says that God has placed eternity in the heart of man. And in the context of this, we actually get a beautiful picture of a man who's who's explored all the delights and wonders of the world and has kind of come back to, um, to share with us, in fact, preach and teach to us, the realities of the depths of these, these things. And he says, essentially, that it all comes to vanity. And the question is why, 
And this passage helps to us to hone in on why, because, because God has given us a desire that cannot be satisfied by things of this temporal world. This world will never be enough to satisfy us. The problem with that is that our sin has separated us from the one who can actually promise us eternal satisfaction. So what happens as a result is we begin to fight amongst ourselves. We begin to abuse the things that God has given us. Relationships get abused. Our jobs, good things that we experience in the world get abused. So much so that it puts us at odds with each other because what we start to do is we start to store up more than we need with the hopes that if I get enough, maybe I can, I can, I can cram it all in there and fill that desire, that void, that desire for eternity. But brothers and sisters, let me tell you, it will never be enough. There is only one who can satisfy our desire for eternity, and that is God alone. So what he does for the Colossians, um, the, the believers in Colossae, by giving them hope that is stored up, that is laid up in heaven, is he's actually freed them from the rat race of this life, from being like crabs in a bucket, pulling each other down, trying to attain more and more things to satisfy them. He's given them the one thing that their soul desires more than anything else. And he secured it for them in a place where it cannot be lost. Where it can't be, it, it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not threatened by theft, it's not threatened by tragedy, it's not threatened by time. It's secure. And so this freedom produces two things, faith in Jesus Christ, and we're going to go through that a little bit more as we continue on, but it also produces a love for the saints. This is why I'm convinced that Christians, that believers, followers of Jesus Christ, people who are in Christ, ought to be the most radically loving people on the face of this planet. Because God has freed us from the rat race of this life. He's freed us to be able to give our lives away for others who may never come to know Christ, but we can do that. Because what we have stored up for up, for, laid up for us will last. It's guaranteed. Amen? Because of what God has laid up for us in heaven... We can lay down our lives for others. Amen? Amen? And so Paul makes this very clear, and then he goes on in Colossians, verse, continuing on in verse 5. He says, Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Paul goes on here to point out 
that they're, the hope that they've, that they've got in heaven is actually from the gospel that they've heard. And so we, we want to look back at the gospel. If we go on in the passage, Paul actually gives us a, a few things that help us to understand the gospel and this hope. In verses 12 to 14, he says, in Colossians 1, he says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. In verses 21 to 22, he goes on to say, and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So to sum it up, God has delivered them from their evil deeds and the domain of darkness. He's reconciled them to himself and placed them in the kingdom of Jesus. He's making them holy and has promised them an inheritance among his people. And above all, this is key, verses 15 and 16, Paul makes it clear that the one who has promised them all this is the creator of all things, the sustainer of all things, and the rightful owner of all things. Now you tell me what better security you can have than to have the one who owns it all, who sustains it all, being the one who is securing this, who's, who's providing this promise to you. We have God the Father securing this promise in a place that it cannot be tarnished, cannot be uh, taken away. And we've got God the Son who has supplied this promise, this hope for us. It is a secure and a safe hope. So no wonder, no wonder these believers in Colossae their lives have been transformed by this hope, gospel hope. But look what Paul says. It's not just the believers in Colossae whose lives have been transformed. He says that this gospel is transforming lives. It's bearing fruit. It's increasing all around the world. This is a wonderful reality that we see from the, the first century in the Bible that God has continued to allow his gospel to spread. At the time, the, 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 the landmass that was populated by people might have looked a lot smaller than what we have today. But if we look today, there are many missionaries in the room who have gone to different parts of the world to look at the stats. And although there's still so much work to be done, God has not failed to continue the work of increasing the spread of his gospel. Amen? We look for so many solutions to deal with the, the challenges that we have in our world. We were talking yesterday about you know, the, the, the controversy between um, green and between um, 
greenhouse gases and so many of these things, people are fighting, trying to find a way, science and health, trying to find a way to deal with not just our individual problem with death, but our global problem with death. Everything around us has decay, seems to be coming to an end. But God has a plan. Amen? I said God has a plan that is foolproof. It is certain. His work of the gospel doesn't just change our lives. It changes our cosmos. It changes everything. And so, like a good meal that really hits, gospel hope continues to bear fruit because those who hear it share it. God transforms us into being people who don't just hear the word, but we share it. We share this gospel with others. He goes on in Colossians 1, verse 7. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirit. So Paul gives us a little bit more of the context here. The believers in Colossae are, are not a church that Paul has physically been to. And so Epaphras is one of his sources for learning and understanding what's been happening in this church. And I can imagine that Epaphras is excited as he's taking this message to Paul of the, the, the work of God that he's seeing happening among these believers. I know that this has happened with me as I've continued to see our church grow. I've continued to see lives transformed and people come closer to God and serving and loving one another. I, I, I'm excited to tell people, I'm excited when people ask me, how's T North doing? And so I can imagine Epaphras is feeling the same way. And notice what he does. He, he goes back to, Paul goes back to um, Epaphras' witness of their love. Love is a significant part of this passage. It's also key when we understand what Paul, how Paul sees something of a hierarchy in these three values. He says these three remain in, in another passage, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Even in Colossians 3, he actually emphasizes love as being something that they should put on above all, and especially love towards the saints, towards the household of God. So love is key in this. This isn't the first time. So if you notice, he doesn't just mention their love. He goes on to say, love in the spirit. This is Love in the Holy Spirit. And he, he talks about this connection between love in the, in the saints and the work of the Holy Spirit in Romans 5, 5. Here's what he says. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. In the context of this passage, we understand that what Paul is actually saying is that because of the love of God that the Holy Spirit has poured out in our hearts, 
We know, we have confidence that our hope in Christ is not misplaced. How? How do we understand this? How do they understand this? Is, is he goes on to explain that this love was demonstrated in such a way that while they were still God's enemy, while we were hostile and wicked and hateful and rebellious against God, God sent Christ to die for our sins. The security that this gives us is that if he was willing to give the darling of heaven while I was his enemy, now that he's made me a son, how much more will he complete the good work Will he see it through to the end? Will he assure that I will make it home to heaven? This is the the confidence that he's giving them that the Holy Spirit gives us with the love of God that he pours out in our hearts. This love, it sustains our hope in Christ. And, And this love, when we understand it, when we accept the love of God for us, this love is where our love for others flows from. We love because he first loved us. And this is how we demonstrate that we actually have his love in our hearts. We can't say that we love God, John says, and hate our brother. We demonstrate that we love God, that we have the love of God in us because we love our brothers and sisters, because we love our neighbor. And so this love that they have in the spirit is actually enabling them with supernatural power to love like Jesus. This in this context, it's really helpful to understand the context of the Colossians a little bit more because what they're facing is they're in a context where they're being pulled from just about every side to, to believing that there are multiple gods and that it's foolish for them to just pick one or to believe that there are many ways to God and that believing in just Jesus alone is foolish. Or, or, or so many other myth, myth, um, mystical and mythical things that, that are in this time. They're being tempted and they're being threatened from. And, and, and sometimes it's hard for us to really connect with, with the time. But, but I see it in my work as a social worker so often. And I'm sure you all can connect with times at work where the ask of you, the things that you're told to to promote, the things you're told to believe are inconsistent. In fact, they're contrary to what we believe as Christians, to our faith. And in order for us to hold on to our faith, we have to have a deep abiding hope, a sustaining hope that Christ is worth it all. Amen? Amen? And this is what they're, they're up against. And not only are they facing this persecution, but they're also seeing believers around them, all around them facing this persecution. And I remember um, Pastor Marv said this to me a while ago, and I believe that it was somewhat prophetic, that he said that one of the things that's going to happen among us as Christians 
in the Western world, particularly even in Toronto, is that as, as laws and, and legislation is passed to um, increase the teaching and even um, restrict our teaching as Christians and increase teaching that's contrary to what we believe and, and almost force us into a corner, there might be, and, and, and I'm, I'm saying this and I hope this doesn't scare anyone, but there might be a day where, where we've got to open up our homes and welcome in brothers and sisters who no longer have a job or a place to stay. There's likely going to be a day where we might have to, have to restructure our finances to accommodate for a family that, that can't find employment anymore because they won't be hired because they choose to hold fast to their faith and their profession. This is the kind of love that the, the believers in Colossae are forced to demonstrate, and it's the kind of love that we will be called, may be called to demonstrate really soon. The kind of love that makes us uncomfortable, that makes us feel displaced in this world, that, re, that reality that we are sojourners might become so much more vivid and, and, and present for us than it is today. But if it, it scares you to think that you've got to somehow find a way to produce this kind of love, I want to bring you back to the passage. Because it is the power of the Holy Spirit, the spirit that was given to you, the spirit that abides in every believer, that enables us, supernaturally enables us to love like Jesus loved. And I, I, I've learned to pray this prayer and it's a hard prayer. God, help me to love like you love. Help me to love like Jesus loved. And every now and again, it hits me, the reality of what I'm praying for. Because Jesus loved so much that even, his, even when his enemies were threatening him, were mocking him, were crucifying him, he continued to love them by laying down his life. And the call for us as believers isn't much different. We are also called to be willing to lay down our lives to love others for Christ's sake. And I hear this and, and it scares me because I'm gonna be real. Sometimes I have a hard time loving people just because they stepped on my new shoes. <laughs> right? We can be so fickle and it can be so hard to love if we're real. But this supernatural power of the Holy Spirit that enables us to love is what we can count on. And so this actually provides for me some conviction and some encouragement. The encouragement, I said it many times, that I don't have to rely on myself. I don't have to love in my own strength. That God provides, God the Holy Spirit provides an ability to love supernaturally. It is a fruit of the Spirit. Amen? But the conviction, which hits a little bit harder, is that I need to stop making excuses for not loving people in my life the way Jesus called me to love them. I gotta stop making an excuse. I have to realize that if I'm just willing to step out in faith, to love these people, to love people around me who God calls me to love, to love you all the way God calls me to love, that the Holy Spirit is with me 
and will enable me to see it through. This might look like loving my neighbor enough to step outside of my individualistic Western mindset and to to risk being a little bit awkward and uncomfortable to be a source of God's love to them. This might look like me loving a family member enough to be willing to break the unspoken, don't talk about Jesus clause, and to risk being the awkward, um, religious weirdo in the family who's now an outcast, just to let them know that Jesus Christ is the only way for them to have the, the ultimate consequence of their sins completely paid for. This might mean loving a stranger that I've never met enough, that I would go to a place that I've never been to and, and leave behind the, the, the security or sense of security and safety from this developed world to bring gospel hope to people who have never heard the name of Jesus. This is love that can only come from the Holy Spirit that is given to us. And all of this is only possible because God has given us gospel hope, a hope that we no longer have to participate in the the fight for the piece of the pie that this world is in. That we're free to give our lives away and to love radically in the power of the Holy Spirit. Look at it again. We have God the Son who has provided for us. He has supplied for us hope that is eternal, hope that will not fail, a hope that will satisfy. God, the Father, is, is secured that hope for us in a place where it is not threatened by time, by tragedy, or by theft. And God, the Spirit, enables me enables us to continue on in that hope. He sustains that hope in us. See, I, I preached this message for some youth and I gave this picture for them. It, this, this, this would be like if I, if I were a, a great king and I gave you this, and, and I had wealth, and I gave you this promise that this wealth now belongs to you. And I stepped it up and I said, you know what? This wealth that belongs to you, it's going to be secure for you in a place that no one can get to it. No one can steal it. It will never be corrupted. But imagine if I left it up to you to, to make it to the end to obtain that hope, to obtain that treasure, to obtain that wealth. And imagine if that journey was as 
gruesome and difficult and hard as this life is. But God, he is a a wonderful God. That he has not left it up to us. He's not left us alone to journey this, this, this journey of life to the end, to the great treasure, to our great hope on our own, in our own strength. He's thoroughly equipped us in the Holy Spirit to make that journey. We've got the triune God at work in securing, supplying, and sustaining our gospel hope. Thank God for gospel hope. Say that with me. Thank God for gospel hope. Join me in standing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'll admit that sometimes I forget that you are God three in one. And I forget that you are doing so much more than just supplying and securing for us this hope that you are sustaining us in it, Lord. And this life sometimes feels impossible. It feels hard to hold on to hope. But what a wonderful thing to know that you are holding hope for us. That you are enabling us to see this journey through. Father, I pray that you would allow this reality to grip us again in such a way that we would continue on with with great courage and conviction that by your spirit, by your hand, we can make it to the end. And Father, I pray for those who have really had a hard time continuing on in hope. For those who felt like this life has just been too hard, it's been unreasonably hard, it's been unfair. And they're tired of waiting, they're tired of holding on, they're tired of trying to stay on this path. God, I pray that you would help right now for them to to just get a great sense of your spirit at work in their hearts, the love that you pour out in the hearts of those who have placed their trust in you, who are in Christ. God, let them get a greater sense of that love at work in their heart right now, that you would lift their head, that you would lift them up from that miry clay, that they would find restoration right now by your spirit. And we thank you, Lord, for your word. Lord, let it do more than than I could ever imagine, God. 
and changing us and drawing us closer to you and helping us to endure, Lord. Helping us to love more radically than we ever imagined we could love. Knowing that the supernatural power of the one who created all things, sustains all things, and is the owner of all things is at work in us now to enable us to love like that, to give our lives away. So we thank you, Lord, for all that you have in store for us through this word that you've implanted in our hearts again and afresh. We pray this in Jesus' name. resources or information about Hope Church, visit hopetorontonorth.com.